punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are most again! What's happening? Welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I am Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, joined once again, and as always, by Nesson.com's Lauren Campbell and Mike Cole. I stuttered on that. I don't Close. know why. We were just talking about how we're all fatigued right now, uh, but we're going to push through, right? It's like the second game of a back-to-back. Um, guys, how's it going? Splendid. It's going awesome. I am just in such a good mood today. Well, I will say, Mike, for the first time, I think, this season, we have you before the spread. So we're not the ugly, redheaded stepchild <laughs> of your podcasting world. The spread week. has no chance this week. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be, be a train wreck. Yeah, you want to talk about back-to-backs. That's, that's <laughs> real bad. I'm doing that right that's after That's a scheduled this. loss so, right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we're not here to talk about how hard Mike's life is. Um, we're actually here to talk about the Boston Bruins as we generally do. Um, speaking of firsts in a while, the Bruins are going to play many games, uh, between now and the next time we record. So, uh, over the last week, since we last met, they beat the Detroit Red Wings, uh, pretty soundly. That was a four goal game for Patrice Bergeron appears. He is not washed, um, contrary to some belief. And then they ended up losing to the Toronto Maple Leafs five to two. Uh, tonight, we are recording this on Tuesday. Tonight, they are playing the Ottawa Senators, a nice team, if you ask me. Still a little ways off, but a team that is uh, a lot of fun to watch, followed by the Edmonton Oilers on Thursday, and then a back-to-back this weekend with the New Jersey Devils and Montreal Canadiens. Um, we didn't really plan this part of it, but why don't we talk about the Patrice Bergeron thing? Because we didn't really dive into it all that much about the fact that some people were concerned that maybe age is catching up to him. Uh, he ended up squashing that a pretty good bit. Um, you know, he had the four-goal game, but otherwise, is there any level of concern? Do you think he's about where he should be? Uh, he's obviously doing the other areas of his game well. It was literally just the goal scoring. So is there any level of concern on, uh, let's say, November 9th? I think it's still too too early for any kind of concern, especially – Anything surrounding Patrice Bergeron, I think that it only was a matter of time until he broke out. Just so happened to be in one game, and now he's the well, he was the tied for the team leading goals after that night. After going into it with zero, so I that think, might be more of a referendum on the Bruins. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I think it was just a matter of time until he found his game. It's it's a long off season. It's a regular off season. They have they're back to pretty much normal, and maybe that was just everyone's trying to play a little bit of catch up this year and. I think he's, I mean, I think he's looked fine. It's just a matter of he just never found the back of the net. And now it's just, this kind of paves the way for him to start scoring more consistently. Uh, I feel like we talked about this last week, didn't we? Uh, We might have. I feel like we spoke it into existence. Um, Perhaps. uh, I'm not concerned necessarily about anything, uh, but I also am not going to overreact to it. Uh, I mean, the three of those goals are on the power play. I'm not yeah. mistaken. So sure. like it's not like they completely fixed the first line issues or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, they didn't fix the power play issue, it seems. Yeah, like. that's that's a that's a good point. Um but so I yeah, I don't know. I mean it's it's it was bound to happen at a certain point. I'm looking at it right now. Bergeron's shooting percentage is up to sixteen, seventeen percent. Not sure it was what it was before that, but I have to imagine the four Can't goals. Were, well it was zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, there you go. Uh, 
But there's a point in there that I I, can't, I, I failed to make there where it's I it was gonna even out. Yeah, and I guess that seems like it's it's more of a, a more expected shooting percentage for for a player like him. Probably go down slightly, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's, he's a very good hockey player. He's a Hall of Famer. He's gonna have good games. Um, that's a step in the right direction. I'm trying to remember Saturday night how how good that line looked. I think it was okay. So yeah, encouraging. It wasn't you know I think we talked about this last week. I think you're not gonna hold them down forever. And like 24 hours later, he scored four goals. So yeah, it was absurd how much space he was getting on the power play. Like the fact that he was still basically by himself in the slot on the second and third goals was very poor form by the Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings said that too, right? Yeah, yeah they did. Uh, you could read that on Nesson.com. Jeff Blaschel was like, yeah, we actually talked about in the film review that you need to be careful of him in the slot, which, you know, no kidding. So they gave um, him the even prior to that game. But higher parking lot worth of yeah, the, ice. The, uh, the Danny DeKaiser effect, I guess, because mm-hmm. he didn't play. Um, yeah, so actually a quick side note on the whole Patrice Bergeron thing. So he's... I thought it was a good idea to ask Patrice Bergeron if there was anything he noticed that was going wrong for him when he couldn't score. Um, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get an answer of him, you know, admitting some level of imperfection. Um, I think he thought I was being an asshole because he was like, well, I'm here to score more than just goals. I care about winning. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I know, but... He, and he ultimately answered it honestly, but I think he looked at me like I was kind of a bozo. Um, wow. You know, yeah, right, if the shoe fits. Nesson.com's bad guy, Logan Mullen. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna me, say. just always trying to stir stuff up. I was trying to be insightful. I wasn't trying to goad him into anything stupid, but can you imagine how profound of an answer that could probably be if it's like, no, when you had a week to just go and look at film and figure out something wrong with your game, a Hall of Famer, like, what do you find? And maybe I didn't articulate the question well enough. Clearly. Um, so I think... It's a, it's a good instinct on your part to ask that question. My guess is he doesn't know how to answer that or properly explain it because I don't think he does anything differently ever. That's probably true. And he just expects that it's going to... Well, I tried to give him that out because I said, were you noticing anything on film or was it just bad luck? Um, and he basically was like, well, the last three games we weren't that great. And then before that, like we were creating good chances. We just weren't scoring. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not losing sleep over it. So but basically I, it was a, it's them, not me kind of answer. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> noted me first player, Patrice Bergeron. Um, I just can't believe that you, Jesus. Why? <laughs> so just piss off Patrice Bergeron. I don't think like, I pissed him off. So, he just looked like he didn't really know what to say. And then it's the, like a bad question. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? It, it's been a while. I haven't, well, actually no, I was. You know, we had the zooms, but I had been pinned up against the wall and yeah, cornering ex- him with your invasive line of questioning. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to get him to rip on Pasternak. Gotcha moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know me, Nesson's <laughs> gotcha journalist. Um, all right. So enough about me. Um, God, where do we go from here? I guess so. We can do a little pivot to other centers around the NHL. So since we last met, Jack Eichel got traded. Uh, it was not to the Bruins. It was to the Vegas Golden Knights, who somehow are able to get every player with a big cap hit under their salary cap. Um, how, I don't know, but they always find a way to do it, and such was the case with Jack Eichel. The Sabres were adamant that they were not going to retain salary, and they didn't. 
Um, now, the Golden Knights did have to give up Alex Tuck. They gave up Peyton Krebs. Uh, they gave up a first-round pick and a third-round pick, second-round pick, something like that. I think it was a first and a second, and then Eichel and a third went from right. Buffalo to Vegas. So knowing that the Bruins would not have been able to offer a similar package and have that trade accepted by the Sabres, they were going to have to offer more for the Sabres to trade him within the division if they were ever going to do that. Um was it wise of the Bruins to stay out of all of that? Or do you think, given what the Golden Knights ultimately paid, they probably could have afforded to the Bruins, that is, uh, push a little bit harder? I think it was smart for them to stay away. I think that the retaining salary is huge for, because obviously not, when their Buffalo isn't retaining it, it's huge for them. But then you have the whole, a lot of questions surrounding his surgery. It's never been done on, a, on an NHL player. You don't really know how it's going to affect his recovery. Is he going to play this year? Everyone sounds confident that he will, but it, uh, it's a risky surgery. I mean, what neck surgery isn't at the end of the day, but I think it was smart for the Bruins. It's kind of like, where would he fit? What would they have to give up? Does getting someone like Jack Eichel really make the Bruins better given what they'd have to give up? Yeah, I think it would have, but yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Noted. Um, I like Taylor Hall probably kept Jack Eichel out of Boston because the Bruins just fleeced them last year. And I have to imagine that that didn't sit very well. Um, but yeah, I, it seems you wrote about it, right? Like, I did. Yeah. It's pretty basic like economics, right? Or not dollars and cents wise, but professional sports economics where it's, you got to pay a premium if you want to acquire a player in the division. I don't know. It just seems like it would be a bad idea to trade Jack Eichel to Boston when you're trying to be better, and it probably won't happen in the long run. <clears throat> um, when you're going up against him, I think it was a great move for Vegas, though. Like, hey, take advantage of that. Like, they, I think they fleeced them basically. And now I'm with you. Like, I don't know how they afford all of us, but yeah. Well, they have Patcheretti on long-term IR, That's which fair. helps, and then. Eichel, Eichel obviously too, yeah. is going to go on long-term IR. Uh, so, but as it pertains to the Bruins, I mean, it's, you know, would have been, I think it would have made them a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, but I'm not sure what the machinations look like. I also, like, the reason I would do it if I was the Bruins, if you are or anything like a similar deal, is like, you can't really match that level of prospect, even depending on what you think right. about Peyton Krebs. But like, so if you're even in the conversation, like you're not giving up somebody that's going to make it real painful. Like I feel like for the Bruins to make any sort of Eichel deal, it might have probably would have been a different looking trade because yeah, a you're going to have to include more salary to make it work, and b you don't have the high level prospects. And I think you're more reluctant to give up first round picks, so it probably turns into having to trade a legitimate roster player who is, you know, on the up and up and somebody who is on that roster right away. And then, so I guess at that point, are you making yourself worse? Not worse, but is it, is it too much of a gamble for a guy who, you know, as Lauren mentioned, has got the neck problem as well. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it would have been fascinating. It would have been fun, but it's, I don't think it ever really had a chance of happening. Well, that was kind of my thing. What you just alluded to is the fact that, I don't know if they would have gotten better this year by making that trade because there is a good chance that they end up having to trade a roster player. Um, like a good one. A, a good one, too, right. You couldn't get away with trading just a depth forward or something like that. 
Like Jake DeBrusque was not making that deal. Probably happen. not. Like, who's the Bruins equivalent of an Alex Tuck kind of player? I don't know. I, I, the fact that they don't have one is maybe one that a reason that you're skeptical about their short and long term prospects with Eichel. Sure. Right? And so then you're looking at their prospect or, pool. And I mean, this kind of goes back to the drafting stuff, which we have talked about, which is okay, well, you're definitely giving up more draft picks. Um, and if you're not giving up more draft picks, you're giving up more prospects. So then you're basically depleting your prospect pool, right? Because a trade, I mean, it's not happening now, right? So we can talk about which players they theoretically would have to send. This is not us endorsing them, you know, doing this kind of deal, but they probably would have had to have traded Studnika um, and or Vakanainen um, and probably another player as well, a roster player. And so in addition to draft capital, so you take all those guys out of the equation. Eichel's not going to play for four months and the Bruins are in an airtight division where the Maple Leafs finally have come around. The Panthers look like the real deal. Tampa's always good. And so the Bruins are in such a case would be depleting their roster for a guy that they're not going to have access to in probably until probably March or maybe April. So two months left of the season, like, if you stumble a little bit because you don't have the center depth that you, you know, would like to because Eichel's on long-term IR, which you knew, then you're kind of hosing yourself. And if you don't know how much longer your window is going to be open, like I get the long-term play of, okay, well, it might hurt us this year, but we would have them for the playoffs and we would have them for four years after that. You're still kind of wandering into a dangerous direction. Um, especially when you have to figure out the money too. Like that's another part that can't be understated was Tuck was a good player, but he also had, I think he was making like 5 million or something like that. The Bruins don't really have a $5 million player that they easily could part with to get the money to work on that deal. So it, it was going to be a delicate dance. Can I go play <clears throat> without surgery? I don't believe so. Yeah, I, I think, think he, so. I think he can, but I don't think it's Unlikely. sustainable. Well, I'm just saying, like, then make a run for it this year. Try to put it off as long as you can. But if you do that, and it doesn't get any better, then you screwed yourself. Even that, it, it, go ahead. So the Sabers already pushed it off so much too. Yeah, it's it's just like... just, I wonder if he'd be more willing to to take that risk for a team that's not a clown show. Sure. And if the Bruins are like, well, this is our best. Ch-. It's just that, again, I mean, the fact that we're having to jump through all these hoops is a reason why. Yeah, that's probably the exact inner dialogue that um, Don Sweeney was having. Right. I mean, that's, I don't know. It was always far-fetched. I, I think, to like, the Taylor Hall thing isn't really even that good of an equivalency because Hall made clear he wasn't going to come back. He had trade protection. Right. And he was a pending free agent. So, um you know, he, he leveraged the power that he had, and he ended up with the Bruins as a result. Um, so, again, always kind of a far-fetched idea. One that was fun to think about, but Eichel's only going to be going into his age 30 season when he becomes a free agent in 2026. So I would not yeah. completely close the door on it, but that seems like a bit more feasible of an approach to one day getting Jack Eichel in Boston would probably be pursuing him as a unrestricted free agent. Another reason to hold back, too. Right, why why trade other players who are probably still going to be on the team in 2026 at that yep. point. Um, in other potential transaction news, 
spotted yesterday on the ice at Warrior Ice Arena, yesterday being Monday, was Tuka Rask. And judging by what Bruce Cassidy said today, it does not sound like that's a new development. He, It sounds like he's out there well before anybody even gets to the building. Uh, so he's probably there at, what, 7, 8 o'clock. Uh, maybe he's there at 4.30 when you're doing your workouts in the morning, Mike. Maybe. Um, you know, a real a real grind. So you hits the gym harder. Um, <laughs> who do you think hits the gym harder? Because Tuka's probably taking it easy right now, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> um, the, not, that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> I work out harder than the professional athlete. Yeah, yes. There we go. There that's, we go. All right. That's what you wanted? Yeah, that's what I wanted. Um, so... It sounds like Tuka Rask has an arrangement, if you will, with the Bruins where he has access to Warrior Ice Arena to work with the trainers. Cassie said he works with the trainers, which isn't really surprising. Uh, he gets some ice time. He's not really facing shots, just kind of skating around most of the time without equipment. Uh, and then occasionally there's some uh, when the Bruins, the present Bruins are entering the building. Rask is usually leaving. Um who knows if he bumps into slash chats with Lena Solmark and or Jeremy Swayman um, or what the deal is, but it kind of reignited the conversation, the dialogue about the fact that the Bruins kind of have a looming decision to make with Tuga Rask here. If he really is ready uh, sometime between the start of January and the start of February, then we're running out of runway here a little bit. There's about a month and a half left. Um, and so at this juncture, I mean, for one, do you read anything into the fact that he's at least on the ice? Um, and where do you stand at this point on the possibility of bringing him back, both in terms of how rational it would be and how much you would like or not like to see that? I think at some point he was, I mean, it was bound that we'd see him on the ice if he has any intention to come back or even if he didn't, maybe just to son kind of, um, ramp up his rehab, get back on the ice, loosen up his hips a little. And, you know, if they have an agreement, it's really no surprise there. He lives local. He's here year round and he needs to, you know, do other things instead of just go to physical therapy every day, which I'm assuming is what he's doing. But, you know, I think that looking through the first, what, nine, 10 games, goaltending's not a huge issue. There are, you know, bigger areas that the Bruins really need to address. But I think that, I mean, right now you can't really – lean one way or another at least i can't but you know they are running out of time like you said logan there's a month and a half left before they probably have to make some sort of decision regarding rask but i think we'll be able to see more of that through the month of november and december especially with the bruins actually playing kind of a real schedule now he's wearing pads yesterday he was wearing pads i don't know if cassidy knew that i know it's weird like he was wearing pads. Unless he really bulked up. Yeah. No, <laughs> During I was, all the idle time. I was just watching the video from uh, Joe Giza at WBZ. He's wearing pads. Big old smile on the face. Gloves. Has mask on. Uh, sticks around, too. So um, <clears throat> that's a pretty interesting development, I guess. If he was going to come back, which was it felt like around a 50-50 proposition, like he was going to have to skate at some point. I, this is a clear indication that he's actually going to do this or try to do this, which is slightly surprising to me. I thought he was going to enjoy retired life, which seems sick. Um, I like retired why, life at 33. Yeah. Or <laughs> awesome. With mountains of money. Um, you know, I thought he would just be like, this is cool. I'd rather, I, I like, I'm, I'm all right with playing golf every day. 
I guess he, he did that anyway, probably. Still get away with that. <clears throat> life of a professional athlete. Um, but, I, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, all right. I guess this is he, – he's at least open to the idea of coming back. I don't think he's out there, like, trying to get around having to register for, like, free skate or something at <laughs> Warrior. So, um, <clears throat> in terms of, like, the actual impact on the Bruins, I think it's interesting. I think Lauren kind of hit on a point that I hadn't really considered – until now, especially starting to look at the schedule and all the schedule talks that we've been doing is I got a buttload of games in January and a whole bunch in March. And you've got the uh, Olympic. Well, is he trying? Is he getting ready for the Olympics? Yeah. Is he, that maybe a swan song playing for Finland in the Olympics? I don't know. Um, but uh, Pecorino yeah. retired. too. So, yeah, that's so. true. A lot of minutes to go around down the stretch. That maybe actually having three goalies, one who seems pretty amenable to not being the number one guy in Rask, maybe that's pretty beneficial. Um, and then again, that if if they get into the playoffs, it's a much more it's a much different discussion. But I think for now, I, I think you know it makes sense to be open to it. Yeah. Well, have you seen anything from Swayman and Olmark that makes you think like they should definitely close the door on having Tuka Rask back? For me, that's a no. Your better goalie right now has been Swayman, and that's going to be a really fun conversation to have one day when Swayman's the one that gets sent down because uh, Olmark isn't uh, waivers exempt. You look like you have something to say. Do you think they would send him down? So here's what I think would happen is they could do what they usually do with whoever their best young forward or defenseman is, like what they're kind of doing now with Studnika, which is during the off days, he still practices with the team, but there's a paper transaction to send him down to uh, Providence. He never reports to Providence, and they still roll with, who is it, John Gillies now, and uh, Callum Booth and Kyle Kaiser, whoever's rotating through there. Maybe get him a game here or there, say, but he mostly stays. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, then like, but maybe you have a three goalie rotation, so like it doesn't make sense to play him down there either. Well, right. The overarching point is that I think there is a path to Jeremy Swayman technically being with Providence, but staying with Boston and being able to continue to practice with the Bruins. And you call him up when you want to play him. Now I don't know what other kind of transactions you're doing because the Bruins only have so many waivers exempt players. Like, are you really gonna? subject Carson Kuhlman to waivers so that you can play Linus Olmark in a random February game. But there is a way to make it work. I don't think it'll take a ton of money. I was also in the camp that, you know, there's a real possibility he might get through some of the rehab and just be like, you know what, this isn't worth it. The fact that he's at the point now where he can at least get on skates, uh, it's pretty fascinating to me. Now, if he's not taking shots yet, or at least a lot of shots, that's a little curious to me because that's when he's really going to be testing the hip is when he's having to flare his pads out and stuff like that. So that's when he'll probably be tested a little bit more. But the fact that he's at least at the point where he's willing to give it a shot and get back on the ice is interesting to me. So I don't think it's going to be as complicated as people seem to think it is to make that rotation work. But you know, if they ever have to clear a roster space, I would – bet your bottom dollar that it's going to be Swayman going down and not Olmark, regardless of, unless Swayman turns into, uh, you know, Martin Brodeur over the next month and a half, it's going to be him that goes down. Um, 
So, I mean, I, I would say if we do this quick roundtable style, I mean, would everybody be in favor of making the Rask thing work? What's the level? Let, let me frame it this way. What is the level of belief that you have? One to ten on Rask being back. Ten being like ironclad. He's back. He's coming back. One being like there's no shot. He's ever playing again. I'm going like seven and a half. I think that... A- I mean, Don Sweeney, Bruce Cassidy, Cam Mueller, they've all made it very clear that the door is open. Rask has made it very clear that this is the only team he wants to play for. So it really comes down to, you know, this is Rask's decision at the end of the day. But if he wants to come back, I think the Bruins will make it work. Um, so I'm giving it about like, what, 75% chance, 7.5 out of 10. 50-50 still. Give it a 5. I mean, to your point, Logan, until he moves laterally and faces shots it's impossible to say and the hip and the that entire section of the body is pretty pivotal to playing goalie in the nhl it is i'll go right between and say like i don't know 6.75 oh Um, something like that six or seven purely because kind of the the pause that you have, Mike, coupled with what Lauren pointed out, which is I don't think he's playing anywhere else. I think at this point it, it is 100% down to the fact of can he physically handle it. Uh, if he can, I think he'll make it work, and I think the Bruins will find a way to make it work. I mean, they can they can get that deal done. Um, so one more thing before we wrap it up. Uh, we're, what, about a month into the season, three months into the season. We already have Bruce Cassidy calling out Derek Forbert. Um, he was, <laughs> did you say a month or three months into the season? I thought I meant to say three weeks. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was a pretty, uh, there's pretty a possibility difference. I said three months. We yeah. might have to go back and hatch at that, but, uh, I meant a month or three weeks. Gotcha. Um, somewhere in that neighborhood. Anything else I can correct, Mike? Hey, you know, I'm good. Um, high level of, uh, <laughs> expectation here. Yes. It's sorry, but professionalism yep. here. Um, so Derek Forbert gets kind of, I don't know, reamed is probably too strong, but Bruce Cassidy was visibly displeased with, uh, in particular, a play where I, I hate to laugh, but Mitch Marner goes charging into the offensive zone and goes to the corner and John Tavares throws a puck towards the corner and Forbert gets a stick on it, but he had one hand on it. So all he did was literally poke it directly to Marner, who then found a wide-open Austin Matthews and scored. It was probably the ugliest defensive display we've seen this season. I mean, look kind of like the New York Rangers on Friday against Connor McDavid. But he called him out and basically said, like, he's here to be a little bit tougher and, you know, you can't be playing with one hand on your stick. Uh, You know, of course, now he's back up again on the top pairing with Charlie McAvoy. But... What kind of point are we at now with Derek Forbert where, you know, he, he's been here long enough to where you should know what you have in him and you should be able to define a role for him. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, I'm not really concerned that Cassidy's calling out any players. He's, he's always done that, but I think that, and we talked about this before, like where does he really fit in this lineup? And I think it becomes a bigger question because now it's, he's just, he looks awful on the ice. Sometimes he looks I don't know if he looks lost, if he looks sloppy. I don't really know what to call it, but it's it's a little bit concerning because he's a big body. He was brought in to be that kind of big presence, and he's letting Mitch Marner score on him like like it's nothing. So I think at the end of the day, 
they really need to stick with either he's going to play with McAvoy or they're going to send him somewhere else on the defense pairings and stick with it because I don't think it helps that he's just kind of shuffled around a little bit there. Yeah. I think it's probably better to get called out than to get benched. Um, probably. I, I, it's still so early. I mean, it's been nine games. Uh, That's true. It really hasn't been that. Much. He's looked good at times too. Like that San Jose game, he was good. So, um, yeah, it's interesting though. I, I, I'm more interested as I usually am from philosophical point of view is I think it's interesting that Castieri feels like he can call out a guy point. who is recently signed and feels comfortable. He's not going to lose him. Um, <clears throat> which makes me think that he's already keyed into, you know, the manner in which he can motivate a guy like Forber. And that's kind of where he's going with this. At least I think if you're a Bruins fan, that's what you have to kind of hope it is. The fact that if you, He's just throwing caution to the wind and just says, screw it, I'm going to light this guy up in early November. That probably isn't good. I think it's more of the former where he's just, it's more of a motivational tactic than anything else. Yeah, I mean, uh, Forbert's played for some tough coaches too. I mean, last year alone, he was with Paul Maurice, so he's probably used to that kind of stuff. It does start to sort of open up the dialogue about the whole chicken or the egg thing where he's played with Drew Doughty and Neil Pionk and all these guys that are legitimate top-pairing defensemen. And is it a matter of, well, he does a good job of supplementing those guys, or is it those guys are just so good they offset any sort of uh, way that he might bring them down? I'm at the point now where I think you probably just have to put them on the third pairing. I think Grizzly and McAvoy is too good. I will say, on the flip side, it looked like, I don't know how intentional this was or if it was just situational, but in the Red Wings game, he was kind of cycling them through, especially in the first period. He was splitting Grizzlick and uh, Forbert with McAvoy. I think all told, uh, Grizzlick only had like four or five minutes of ice time with McAvoy, and then Forbert had like nine at five on five, something like that. But that is an idea that I would be more interested in seeing, I guess, than switching from game to game. Like if you want to do the whole situational thing, almost do it in game and you know, depending on which, especially when you're at home and you have last change, you know, uh, get creative that way. Mm-hmm. But like we've probably been saying for weeks and months now, you're probably not winning or losing anything with Derek Forbert. So any parting thoughts before we get out of here? Nope. We got nothing. Love that. All right. Well, there will probably be even more to talk about on Ice Stuff next week when we meet. But this has been the Nesson Bruins podcast. That's Lauren and Mike. I'm Logan. Until next time, goodbye.